Well, it's a little bit odd to be watching the uh, 21 Olympics in 2020. Well, wait a minute. The 2020 Olympics in 20. I mean, every time you turn it on, I'm thinking, what year is it? Because everything on the banners in Tokyo there say 2020. And I'm thinking, well, it ain't 2020. Uh, but it's a good reminder, I suppose, watching the uh, 2020 Olympics being live broadcast in 2021 that um, we really don't know what tomorrow will hold, right? I mean, when you were making plans for those Tokyo Summer Olympics, you had no idea what 2020 would actually hold. And um, so a lot of us are playing out a lot of uh, 2020 projects in the year 2021. That's just uh, happened a lot. And it reminds us that uh, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will prevail. That That is a biblical principle we should all be reacquainted with here in the last 18 months. If you learn nothing else, you'll learn that, that even the best laid plans, even the biggest international plans on our planet um, all can be preempted by uh, the veto of God. And God has a plan and a purpose, and he carries that out, and it supersedes and overarches our earthly plans. As a matter of fact, there's a verse that I heard a lot in my childhood in my home, and I think my kids can say the same about their childhood home, that we said often the, uh, the truth and the line from, from James chapter 4, and that is that uh, you'd better add the phrase, if the Lord wills, to just about everything that comes out of your mouth, because we don't know what tomorrow will hold. Matter of fact, I love the way it starts in the ESV, the, the English translation, come now, you who say, right? It's like, come on, think about this. You say, I'm going to go to this city and that city, and I'm going to do this today, do that tomorrow, um, for you don't even know what tomorrow will hold. I mean, and what is your life after all? This is a vapor. Right? You, you are here today, and, and tomorrow, you like a mist, you, you could be gone. You don't know. You don't know when your life will be over. You don't know anything. So it says uh, in that text, it's so great in James chapter 4, it says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So that kind of deference, I think, is super important for us, particularly uh, as we think about the fact that we are about to discuss a, a little bit of the planning that we did in 2018 for 2020, and now it's 2021. Uh, things have radically changed in many ways that have affected everyone's best laid plans. Uh, but all of that should take us back to some fundamental truths that I want you to affirm afresh, particularly some of you that sit here today with the temptation to be afraid and to worry. I'm getting people, even as I'm walking in, saying, you know, things are going to radically change, and this is going to happen. Okay, great. Let me, let me remind you of this passage, please. Go to uh, Isaiah 44. This is a timely text, and you should remember the context, which is that Israel was going to uh, be hauled off to the Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar come and destroy Solomon's temple, and all the riches and wealth would be hauled away, including the young uh, up-and-coming prospects of Israel. They'd become slaves in Babylon and in the midst of all of this, um, as they're despairing, because none of their plans were working out, um, they had plans for, you know, their years, and uh, all of that had been preempted by God's plan, all of that uh, led God to remind them of a repeated truth throughout the book of Isaiah. And it's a good one for us now as we think about the climate of our particular um, chapter in history. So uh, let's read this passage. Let me read it for you here. I'll look at three passages with you uh, this morning in Isaiah chapter 66, beginning in verse number 6. I said 41. 
I said 44. Well, that's the one I should have you go with right there. The whole book is great. The 40s are fantastic. But 44 is in particular interest here for us today. There's a lot of things going on in my life right now, so I beg your indulgence. Yes, and I won't tell you because I'll have a million home remedies, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I can, I can only do what I can do. But I got medicines in me right now to fix. All right, now I started. You're going to imagine the worst problems. <laughs> I like to think I'm young and, uh, you know, I know I'm not, so don't, don't stop me there. I tried to tie my shoes last night and uh, after the service. I should have just gone home in the preaching shoes I was in, but I had some comfy tennis shoes in my study. I thought, I'm going to put those on before I go home. And I bent over, which I know is a risky thing to do at my age. <laughs> and I threw my back out last night. And I just, uh, it lit me up. And I said, okay, God, if I were like skydiving or, you know, parasailing or, I don't know, trying to do something crazy, lift a refrigerator, I get it. But I don't, I mean, do I need like slip-ons like for the rest of my life? <laughs> I don't get what just happened to me. And thankfully, most people were gone, but I had to hobble down the stairs like I was 113 years old. I, I had a rough night, so... Uh, You're just fortunate I'm in the book of Isaiah at this point, <laughs> let, al let alone the 44th chapter. And, and I always hoped like the 11 o'clock service would be the one we can broadcast. Not that anyone's going to want to hear this sermon this weekend outside of our church, but, uh, but those hopes have been dashed already. That, uh, I get three shots at the sermon every week, three, three opportunities to get it at least ready for prime time for the rest of the nation, and um, this this week I've struck out. But here we go. We're going to do the best we can. You're going to give me a lot of grace. I'm your pastor. You're my congregation. We are friends, and uh, I'm in pain. So here we go. Isaiah 44, verse 6. I trust this will be devotionally helpful for you as we think about our crazy world and all the things that looks like we may get back into, the craziness of our world. Thus says the Lord, Capital O-R-D, his proper name. The king of Israel, in case you forgot. Okay. Now, in Israel, you're getting hauled off to Babylonian captivity and things are bad. I'm thinking, okay, for the church, let's think about us now. We are the Lord's, right? He owns us. He is our king. He is in charge. He's the king of the church, right? Christ is the, the Lord and the head of the church. And he's the head not only because he's the creator of all things, but look at this next phrase. For Israel, they need to remember, we need to remember, uh, his redeemer. Okay, so we know that Israel was taken out of slavery from Egypt, and he says, look what I did. I freed you. I set up a nation with you. I've given you civil law. I've given you ceremonial law. I've, I've connected with you relationally through the priesthood. All that is, is what I've done for you. And from a New Testament perspective, we are the church of Christ. What a great thing that he has redeemed us at a much deeper level, freeing us from the slavery of sin and its punishment. Now, that's just a great line. And then, again, right? that's our connection to him, the Lord of hosts. I don't know if you think about that word, but the, the word the armies, usually referring to the armies of heaven, which I don't think we quite appreciate the way that we ought to. There's a whole class of beings that have enormous power that somehow the book of Daniel helps us understand they're working in leading the, the nations. 
I mean, the spirit behind a lot of demons, a lot of angels, and the powers that be. God is the God of all the angelic classes. He's the God of all the authorities, all dominion and power. All of it ultimately reports to him. Satan can't even do something to Job's family or his body <laughs> without God's permission. And so that's a helpful thing to remember that he is the Lord of all authority. And now let's think about time, right? I'm the first and I'm the last. That's helpful to think about the eternality of God. And God is a God who in the past had a plan for Israel. In 2000 BC, he picked uh, Abraham to be the head of this nation. And through that genetic line, he said, I'm going to set up a nation and I'm going to bring a redeemer for the whole world and all the nations and families of the earth are going to be blessed through him. So he's got a plan. He's been there from the beginning. He's going to be there at the end. He is sitting beyond time. And there's, there's, besides me, there's no God. I mean, there's no real authority. All other divinities, quote unquote, are, are derived divinities. All authorities are derived authorities. God is in charge of all things. And if we didn't get it, right, verse seven, who is like me? Let him proclaim it. He does this a lot, by the way, in the book of Isaiah. Like, where's the, bring your idols out. Let's, let's talk to your carbon images. I mean, who really is your prognosticator, your leader, your controller, your sovereign? I mean, who has power? Right? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Right? These people, now we're talking about the 5th century, 5th, 6th century BC. So, I mean, this has been around for 1,400 years, this nation. And he goes, I, let, let him let's just explain it all to me. Right? And he says, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. That is a repeated refrain in the book of Isaiah and a lot of other books, but this one in particular would say, you know, if anyone is going to rival my leadership and the position of supremacy in your life, let them prove it by being able to tell me the future. Because people can't do that. You can prognosticate, you can guess at it, right? Your financial planner's got ideas, he's got charts and graphs and, and trajectories, and, you know, we got a lot of medical professionals talking about variants on viruses and what's going to happen, and all, politicians telling us what's going to be. Listen, no one... Has, has an absolute take on the future. They're guessing. They're guessing. God knows. Even demons and angels, they don't have it. All they know is what God has revealed about the future, and that's all they can bank on. They don't know anything about what's going to happen tomorrow for lunch for you, right? God knows. God knows. He's in charge. And so if that's all true, here's our emotional response, right? Verse 8, fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Now think about this. Back when Moses gave us the law, and as a prophet, he gave us instructions about a time that would be a thousand years later, when not only would they have a king, which God put off for many years, and allowed them finally to have a monarch, a king, with starting with Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, then it was like, you're going to disobey me, you're going to become uh, transgressors, and I'm going to send you into captivity, and then I'm going to call you back. All of that was laid out in the book of Deuteronomy. It was something that God had said in the 15th century BC, and uh, now it's all happening. And he goes, I I've told you the high points. Right? You should know. You should not be afraid. This is all part of my plan. You are my witnesses. You read the book I wrote. There, is there a God besides me? A rhetorical question and rhetorical answer, of course. No. There is no, I love the choice here of God to give us this word. There is no rock, right? I, I know of not any. God says there's no one else you can rely on and trust in, and that's the whole point of this. This is the whole point of my first point. You don't know the future. You don't know what's going to happen in 2023. You don't know what's going to happen in 2030 if we even get there. You don't know. You don't know if you're going to be alive next year. You don't know. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian and redeemed by Christ, you know the one who does know. 
And not only that, he not only knows it, right? That's theology 101. Here's, here, here's 201. Uh, he's also planned it. So you need to understand that the God that you pray to, the God that we just sang to, is the God who holds the future. You may not know the future, but you know the one who does hold the future, and that means you should not be afraid. And there's any people in our church right now that are scared or worried or afraid because of the tumultuous nature of the last 18 months, I need you to say, I need to say to you, stop it. Well, I can't command my emotions, right? Well, you can. That's the whole point of this passage. I don't care how scary it might be. You know, the, the, you got the Babylonians, Chaldeans, you got people and armies surrounding the nation. You get destroyed. You got your kids hauled off to, to slavery in Babylon. Do not be afraid. Everything's right on schedule. Pandemic, right on schedule. Everything's on Death of your, of your loved one, right on schedule. Oh, I don't believe that. Great. I'm glad you said that. Go to the next chapter, chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. You don't think that's the truth? Look, look at this, these mind-boggling, mind-boggling sentences. Verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, comma, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Right? You had a turnover of the nation. Darius, Cyrus, Xerxes, Artaxerxes. You have this team of leaders that end up running the world. Cyrus is the Persian king who hadn't even risen to the scene yet. Hadn't even happened. And God says, I'm going to name him and I'm going to call him my anointed. That's not just some charismatic word. I hope you understand. That word, right, Mashiach, you look in Hebrew, we transliterate it from the Hebrew text and transliterate it to the word Messiah. In Greek, it's Christos. We transliterate that into Christ. This is a huge word, right? Anointed. What does that mean? You take the flask of oil, you pour it on the head of someone you're setting apart for a duty. In the Old Testament, a king or a priest or a prophet. You set them apart. You're now special. You now rule judicially or you're now in this, this intermediate representation of of God to the people, you're a priest, right, or you're a spokesperson, a prophet. They were anointed once, set apart for a role. The Persian king is not a, a follower of Yahweh. He doesn't sit around worshiping, you know, to David's psalms, right? This is a pagan Persian king, and yet he is his anointed one. I've set him apart for my purpose. Wait a minute, he's not one of us. No, I set him apart for my purpose. I've taken him by the right hand and pulled him into this thing, to do what? To subdue nations before him. I'm going to give him victory, right? Just like he has empowered his anointed viruses, for instance, right? Delta, Alpha, all that to do his work in this world. I don't believe that. Keep reading. To loose the belt of kings, to open doors before him. The gates will not be closed. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the exalted places, right? I will break in pieces the doors of bronze. or some throwbacks to Babylon and, and, and it's a great text filled with, with history. You can look at it in detail later, and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. I'm going to use you, yank you into this thing, and use you for a purpose, right? The God of Israel is talking now, and why are you going to do it? Verse 4, for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name, I name you, though you do not know me. Well, there's a lot of things in this world that are absolutely antithetical to God. You think there's no way this is part of God's plan. Everything is a part of God's plan. Everything. Every evil thing, every evil person, every bad politician, every crazy leader, every organization, God's organization. God is working through them all. 
And I know we struggle with that, but stop struggling with that. The Bible couldn't be clear. You may have other problems with the fact, well, how can God use these evil things? That's a different question. The question, though, is he in charge of it all? Is he purposing it all? Is he planning it all? That is indisputable in Scripture. I mean, this is the point. He enlists things that do not have anything to do with what we would say is biblical or Christian, and he does it for what purpose? For the purpose of his covenant people. Right? And as the church of Jesus Christ, this one new man created in Christ, Gentile Jew together, he has a covenant people here in the New Testament that he is blessing. And he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matter of fact, I'm going to use the gates and I'm going to do all the things that I do in the world for the purpose of my bride. We are the bride of Christ. As Paul said to the Corinthians, all things are yours. I mean, you really need to think about everything in history. We think we're some fringe little piece of, 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 of some culture that's, that's just tormented by secular society that's really in charge. Listen, the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is, is God's Satan, right? He is utilizing everything in this world for the purpose of bringing his bride into his presence without spot or wrinkle. He is preparing his people. All of this is for us, all of it. God is working all things out after the counsel of his will. And the counsel of his will is to prepare these trophies of his grace to sing of his redemption and serve him in a new place without reference to sin. All of this is for us. Everything in this world comes down. That's why church should never be an ancillary part of your life. It should be a central part of your life because this is who we are. Your identity as a Christian is everything. And God is working everything out. Yeah, I am the Lord. There is no other. Verse five, besides me, there is no God. I equip you, Cyrus, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun, way out there in the east, way out in the Persian land, and to the west, and eventually it would be Rome that would take over, Greece and Rome, right? That there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Well, it's not the bad stuff. Verse seven, even the bad stuff. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being when you're sitting under your date palm and everything's fine in Jerusalem and the kings are reigning in, in Israel and create calamity. Like when Nebuchadnezzar's army is rolling in and taking all the riches out of the, the king's palace. I create that. I am the Lord. Who does all these things? Well, I don't like that. Well, you don't like it. Well, you may not, you're saying you don't like the Bible then. And I know there's a lot of things about the Bible you may not like, but that's what the Bible teaches. And you and I need to affirm that. And what does that do to us? Make us afraid? No, it doesn't make us afraid. Matter of fact, it does just the opposite. It emboldens you and makes you courageous. That as Christians, we stand here and we say we are God's people. He is our redeemer. He is the Lord of hosts. He is in charge. He is sovereign. And you know what? Everything in this world is going to work toward the purpose that he's established which is ultimately to conform us to the image of his son and to bring his church victorious into his kingdom. And that's why Revelation 2 and 3 says the church might be messed up in a lot of ways, but in the end, we are on the right side of history. We are overcomers. We end up sitting on his throne, just like he sat on his father's throne. We rule and reign with Christ. All of that is for his purpose. And the Bible says, let him who has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And unfortunately, a lot of us aren't hearing because we stumble over verses like this. Everything is under God's purview. Everything is under his control. Everything is a part of what he has decreed to happen. Oh, there is a revealed will of God. I understand that. And that's that everyone be truthful, everyone be uh, loving, everyone be kind. That is his revealed will. That's the pattern. That's what people should do. But when people like Cyrus or, ba or Nebuchadnezzar or Pharaoh or anyone else does something that's a contrary to that, but I'm doing all that. You mean God's the author of sin? God uses sin. Like death. Is that a good thing? Not a good thing. Preached at a funeral yesterday, not a good thing. They hate, hate death, right? Who did that? Who did that death thing? Well, it's Satan. You know, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, I know the Bible. Well, do you know Genesis 3? Where did this all start? God imposes death on the world. This is God's doing. Every virus, every economic collapse, the price of lumber, all of it is God's doing. 
And you need to sit back and say, that is the God that we just sang to. That's the God you pray to. That's the God's book that you read every day. I affirm God's sovereignty, his greatness, his overarching control and supervision of all things. Therefore, I will not fear. I will not fear. There is no God but God, and that's the God I'm clinging to as my redeemer. If you're taking notes, be a good thing if you did. Trust the God of the future, number one. Trust the God of the future. We don't know the future, as others have eloquently said, but we know the God who knows the future. He not only knows the future, plan the future. He's ordained these things to take place. I am not going to be afraid when the world goes nuts. Not going to be afraid. When it affects me negatively and I'm suffering, not going to go nuts. I've got to say, I'm going to tell my emotions to get in the back seat because I'm driving this in the front seat of my mind, governed by the principles of God's word, and I'm not going to let it make us afraid, worried, anxious, upset. It's okay. The 2020 plans we'd like to do in 2020, do them in 2021. Do them in 2022. God's going to shut the door and not do them at all. I guess we're not going to do them at all. We trust God. That's where we want to live. That's where we need to be. That's the kind of courageous people we should be, right? The wicked, they flee when no one pursues them. They hear the rustling of the leaves, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I'm as bold as a lion, not because I have any inherent power. We as a church should be as bold as a lion, not because we have power to overturn our culture. We don't, but because we are connected to the lion of the tribe of Judah, and therefore we can roar with him to say he is in charge of all things. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, he knows the future. I'm not afraid. You shouldn't be afraid. Let's eschew that kind of anxiety and say we're trusting in the Lord, come what may, because we trust the God of the future. Well, great. Put your feet up. Cruise control. Don't care about anything. God's getting everything done. That's awesome. Nope. John 17. Turn there with me real quick. John chapter 17. John 17 reminds us of how we ought to apply ourselves to the truth that God is revealed regarding his involvement in the future. If I say, and I've already given you one overarching verse, Matthew 16, about the church. I quoted Revelation 2 and 3 about us being overcomers. God is going to build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail. You could say, well, I know how this turns out, right? God says we're going to win. God's people, repentant, trusting in Christ, the only way, no way to get to the Father except through him. I'm tr- That's great. That is all I need to know. Okay, well, that's not all you need to know, and that's not all you need to do is sit back and go, well, we're going to win, so here we go. We don't have to play the game. No, you've got to play the game. You've got to get involved. You've got to understand that we've got instructions on the gridiron to move the ball down the field, even though we know we're going to win. Right? We understand the tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. That tension, you need to sense it, you need to understand it in your mind mentally, but then you say they go side by side in Scripture, and we know we have a task to do. Jesus prayed about that as Jesus, the Son of God, prayed to the Father, right? The triune God involved here, Jesus praying in spirit, praying in line with the Spirit's will. The Son prays to the Father, and here's what he prays. Drop down in this passage to verse 16. He speaks now of us, his disciples, and those who would believe because of the testimony of those disciples, that first generation in the church. He now says, verse 16, they are not of the world, right? They're not a part of the system. I've already talked about the fact that all these things in the world that are pitted against what is right and good and true and righteous and all of that, I understand, that's not who we are. That's not what we're about. We feel like we're on the fringe because we are. We're cast out. We're the scum of the earth, as Paul put it in Corinthians. That's how they view us when we stand up on the truth, whether it's sexual ethics or whether it's the truthfulness of how society ought to be run or justice or law or whatever it is. They don't like us. I get that. But the reality is not being of the world doesn't mean everything about the world isn't designed ultimately for us, as I quoted in 1 Corinthians, right? All, all things in the world are, 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 are ours. God is going to give us and let us inherit the earth. That's what God's promised for us. But for now, we understand the conflict. 
And the conflict is much like Christ. He says, just like I am not of the world. Now, I came here on a duty-bound purpose. The Father dispatched the Son to earn our redemption. Got a job to do as he stood before Pilate, looking at a face, a face that he designed, according to John chapter 1. He designed and created all things, so he's looking into a face that thinks it's got authority over him, but he's submitting to that to go die naked on a Roman execution rack to earn our forgiveness. But all of that is the conflict of being a righteous person in an unrighteous world, but doing the job that God has called him to do. Not of it, but in it. We're not of it, but we're in it. What's the goal then? Well, let's get down to another level of what, not just knowing we're going to win and knowing how it turns out, but we got a job to do, and here's what God's praying for us to accomplish. Sanctify them. That's the goal. Sanctify, sanctify, sanctus. In Latin, sanctus translates hagios, the Greek word, Greek New Testament, Greek word, hagios, hagios, sanctus in, in Latin, same word. It means holy. Used here in English, derives sanctuary, sanctified, saints, all comes from that word sanctus. It means to be set apart, much like Cyrus was set apart for God's purpose, right? We are to be set apart, not to do whatever we think is geopolitically correct and what's going to advance the Persian kingdom. We've got a job to do. We want to be sanctified in the truth. We need to live in line with the truth. We need to do what the truth says. What do we know where the truth is? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here it is, bottom of verse 17. Your word is truth. So God has revealed in the word what he says we ought to do. Even back in the 15th century BC, he said, when you guys find yourself in exile, here's what you should do. And the instructions were there. Not every last detail of what to do when my kid gets kidnapped and taken to Babylon because he was a friend with Daniel, but I know that the whole idea of how I'm supposed to approach this exile and how God would bring us back, I trust in that. And I take the principles that God has given and I live those out, I work those out, I live in light of that truth. I want to be set apart in my thinking, in my mind, in my actions, in that truth. It's a mission. It's things we're called to do. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, Jesus had instructions, so I've sent them into the world. That's why your primary identity is your identity as a Christian in Christ and your community that's most important is your community of your church, not your coworkers, not even your biological family. This is the primary central thing. God has called you as a part of a community to accomplish a purpose on this earth. That's what we're here for. We got a mission, right? And for their sake, I consecrate myself, by the way, consecrate, same idea, same word, to set apart, right? The idea of being set apart, actually the word sanctus is tucked away in that English word. We are setting ourselves apart. Christ has set himself apart, right? I consecrate myself that they may also be consecrated or sanctified or made holy or set apart in truth. I came and accomplished my goal. Now I'm giving them a set of instructions. I want them to be set apart in those goals, in that instruction. It's found in the word. I need them to focus on that. Come what may in the world, no matter what kind of Babylonian captivity might come for the church, I'm going to stay focused on that. That's what we're called to do. Number two on your outline, if you're taking notes, we need to double down on the truth. You want to know what to do in uncertain times? Double down on the truth. Taking away to Babylonian captivity? Double down on the truth. Cyrus says you can go back and build the walls. Jeremiah and Ezra, you're going to build the foundation for the temple? Double down on the truth truth. You got to know what the truth is, and you got to say, those are my instructions for life. I'm going to live that out, and together as a community, we got a set of instructions, and we want to accomplish those. We want to figure out what God says. His word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. What, is the, what are the steps we should take? Well, I don't know the details. Great passage in Acts chapter 20 when Paul is talking about having to go to Jerusalem. He knows that's God's will for his life. God called him, set him apart. He had some revelatory information about that. And so he knows he's going to go to Jerusalem. It's going to end up taking him to Rome eventually. 
But he says in that passage, as he warns these people that are crying and, and lamenting and you shouldn't go and it's going to be hard, he says this, and I'll just quote it for you, Acts chapter 20, verse 22. He says, now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit. I know that's what God says I should do, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, I know the general thing, and it isn't going to be good. He goes on to say that. But I think that's how we live our lives. Right? We have dominion made in God's image to exercise some kind of, of, of decision-making, controlling, planning element of life where we are. And as a corporate entity, the church, we ought to plan to do what God's Word says, but I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I can't know. It's like when we started the sermon. I'm going to say if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this or that. But I know right now I can see the instructions found in his word that should govern my steps. I'm going to take those steps, but I don't know how the details are going to work out. In the fall of 2018, we made some plans about the next few years, and we laid them out. And we said, here are our plans. And here's the deal. We didn't know what was going to happen. But we made these plans. We said, we're going to move forward in this. And that's a great thing that we should be doing. That's a biblical thing but it should all be governed by the truth. What does the truth say? What should the church be all about? <clears throat> Number three, we need a plan to advance that truth. And of course, I'm setting us up all for that simple reiteration of the purpose of the church. But I want to show you that Paul is not just saying, well, I'm just going to glorify God and see the church grow and see the gates of hell bowed back. He's got a very specific set of plans in every season of his life that he knows may be changed. So look at this passage after you write that down and go to 1 Corinthians 16 and take a look at the way Paul speaks of his plans. Now, if you got to the end of chapter 15, for instance, which I understand, this is, you know, we often quote this, but it doesn't give us details. But it, is, it ought to be our resolve. He says in, in verse 58, look at the last verse of chapter 15. After talking, by the way, about the ultimate goals, God's going to redeem us, give us a new resurrection body. We know where we're heading. We are overcomers. We're going to be like Christ when we see him. All these great principles come to mind. And then he says, so, therefore, verse 58, my beloved brother, be steadfast. Don't let anybody move you away from this. Be immovable. Don't get kicked off your purpose here. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Do what God told you to do knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain, right? It may seem like you run into a dead end and have to turn around. Well, that little zigzag, guess what? Exactly what God planned. So keep on working. You've got to take the responsibility of taking the instructions and moving forward, right? Then he gets very specific. Well, here's the next steps for my life. He talks about the collection of the saints. There's an offering that needs to be taken, and there's stuff in Jerusalem going on, and they're going to donate. They've got some money to do that. Now he gets very specific in verse 5. Drop down to this in the ESV, it's headed by these words, plans for travel. Okay? I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. Right? For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing, but I hope to spend some time with you. Okay? All of that is like, that's just why I'm not coming now. I don't want it to be a short stay. I'm going to make sure I can stay for a while. Here are my plans. Of course, he's got a mission. He's going to collect even some support as a missionary to go. and All of that is great. But just like us, we should say always the next three words, right? Where does it say? Four words, if the Lord permits. Four words, if the Lord permits. Now, if the Lord permits that, that's the plan. And I just want to see those are not mutually exclusive, that I trust the Lord for the future, but I don't make specific plans. I'm going to make plans. I got to know what the truth is, know what my instructions are, and then I'm going to implement that. That's application. You can say, well, you can only look in the scripture for what the Bible says regarding the general principles of what we should do. 
right? And I'm saying, no, 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 no. And I've been accused, actually, I've been accused in this whole Compass 2020 campaign from other pastors that we're being way too specific with our plans. And all I'm going to say is, I mean, really, that's what I want to say. Because it, and when it comes down to it, right, that's exactly how I see the pattern in Scripture of godly people making plans. But here's the thing, maybe you didn't hear it clearly enough, if the Lord permits. I understand that all plans can be changed. But here's the deal. I think you are taught to plan in Scripture, and there's some very specific plans. He goes on, verse 8, I will stay in Ephesus until this particular date on the calendar, the Feast of Pentecost. Why are you going to do that? Because I am making this plan because I see opportunity. A wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Okay. A lot of things that I introduced to you back in September and August of 2018, and I said, okay, Here's the fortuitous, sovereign opportunities that God has given us. Give us a gifted team, some up-and-coming pastors that are gifted, I know, to be senior preaching pre leaders every week. Uh, he's allowed us with our, our uh, landlord to sync up our leases, and he actually granted us a 20-year lease. So it's like, okay, we got opportunities here. We should sit back and say, what should the plans be? And so we made some plans, all with the caveat, if the Lord permits. Lord willing, we'll do this or that. Lord willing, we'll live and do this and that. We didn't even know if we'd be there the next day. But we, we announced all these plans in a three-week series, you might remember, where we started talking about what are the plans. It was in a three-week series because it was based on the Great Commission. And I should say, everything from the founding of the church 16 years ago has been based on the Great Commission. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, but at least let me read it for you. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That classic text has helped churches throughout the century say, okay, here's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples. And look at the verse again on the screen. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You've heard this before. If you've heard me teach on it or anybody teach on it who knows the language, there's one imperative verb in this. And it's not go, although it has an imperatival force. All the participles have an imperatival force, but go is a participle, baptizing is a participle, and teaching is a participle, all in the Greek language, right? I know the go is, presents itself as, a, as an imperative verb in our English text, but they're all grammatically in participles. They are parts of the verb, the main verb. There's one main verb, and that is to make disciples. Now, we know in Scripture what it means to make a disciple, and, and, and it has lots of component parts. Matter of fact, it has three component parts, which are all nicely represented in this verse. And so we've said, okay, if we're called to make disciples as a church, that's our mission, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We know we're going to win. What's the instructions? We're going to send, send us into the world. What are we here to do? Well, we're here to do a lot of things, but really when it comes down to the great commission of the church, we're called to make disciples. Well, the first part of that is making sure we reach them with the gospel. Right? And that is all bound up in that word baptizing because when you're done reaching them with the message of repentance and faith, they respond by God's grace to that message. Then we put them up in front of people like they did in the early church because of Christ's instructions. And we declare that they're now part of our team. Right? They're doing an external ex, uh, uh, expression of the fact that they are now with us. They are on our team. They are now redeemed people of God. And so that Work of teaching them about Christ to come to repentance, that involves teaching, and that's what discipleship at its core is, that Greek word mathetos. Get the word mathematics from it. We're learning, we're learning. We have to teach people a lot to get to the place of repentance and faith. 
right? And, and if you think, well, that guy shared the gospel, just came to Christ immediately. Well, there's a lot of people that explained what all those words meant, what all the history of the Bible's about, what God is, who God is, what the truth is, what repentance is. They've learned, they had to learn a lot to get to that place. Then they get to that place, you sign them up for baptism, and they express that new life in Christ. That's stage number one, okay? Then we're done, right? No, no, no. We have to teach them to observe all that Christ commanded. That's why the centerpiece of ministry is, at least in terms of time and investment, it's teaching. Every single building across this campus that we have, they have lecterns at the front, pulpits at the front. They've got stands at the front where people stand up and teach. They study, they read the word, they try to understand it as best they can. They spend a lot of time in doing that. Then they get up and they teach because we need to teach people everything that God tells us to do, what Christ commanded, and we want them to observe it. That's why it's all about moving past knowing to applying. Right? You can know all you want, but until it works itself out in our lives, like Paul talked about, you can know everything, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. And the reality is you have to express all of those truths in the way you live your life, the way you speak, the way you prioritize. So we're teaching constantly. Okay? And then, of course, uh, we'd like people to learn to reach and teach, so we've got to train them. And that gets us back to the first participle, and the first participle is go, right, or Go is how it's translated, going. How can these 11 that stood there with Christ on the mount in Acts 28 even know how to do any of this? Well, because Jesus spent at least three years with them, teaching them how to reach people, teaching them how to teach people, and they'd learned everything that Christ taught. Now they can go and do it. So they needed to be trained. And that is assumed in the context because it's the end of the Gospels. It's after three and a half years. Uh, they're there after the resurrection. Now Christ is going to go, send his spirit, and now they're supposed to do the stuff that's in the Great Commission, which is reaching and teaching. Well, they need to be trained. Well, that had already happened historically in that context, but as a church, if we're supposed to make disciples, we need trained people who can reach and teach. And that's what the church really, in its most fundamental foundational definition, is, is that's what we're involved in. That is our mission. That's the mission of the church. Okay, so back in September 2018, we said, how can we up this now that we have a 20-year lease? We feel like we're finally settled in this facility. We weren't sure whether we were going to buy something. We didn't know how far we would move to make that happen. Where is our campus going to be? Okay, our campus is here. Sign the lease. 10 years, two five-year extensions. Let's stay here, and let's make this the base of operations for more reaching, teaching, and training. So we got a glossy little eight and a half by 11 manual together. We passed it out. Pastor Mike preached for three weeks on it. We put a website up called compassav2020.com, which explained it all. It captured all the sermons. We started putting more information up there about what we were going to do as we look forward to the next 20 years, if the Lord permits, if the Lord wills, if we even live tomorrow, what are we going to be doing? What should we do to double down on the truth and extend and plan to advance this truth in the world. How are we going to do that? Right? And then we wanted, we taught on that, we spoke about that, we planned, we put timelines together, put budgets together, what's it going to cost, how can we do all this, and we even gave you t-shirts. Remember that day you got a nice t-shirt? Is it still in your pajama drawer, the t-shirt, Reaching Teaching Training? When you see that shirt, if you still have it, right, Compass 2020 was to remind us this whole project is about reaching, teaching, and training. That was the point. And if you read the brochure, which is now all digitally on Compass AV 2020, if you didn't know anything about it, you can go and read it. We talked about more reaching, more teaching, more training. We'd done some. God had his good hand upon this church. We'd seen fruit. And we said, now, how can we maximize it? Now that we've got a home, even though we're not owners, we'd like to own. 
we're not going to own. We're going to rent for the next 20 years. That's the plan, at least. If the Lord permits, if that's his plan, that's what we're going to plan to do. Now, how can we maximize these things? And so we started working on it, which, by the way, I should say I flew to the hill country of Texas where we're planning our most recent church. They're about to start here in the next couple of months. Uh, and I've told you already from the, from the announcements that we've got a building right out of the gate, which is amazing, right? And if you follow me on Facebook, and why wouldn't you follow me on Facebook? Because you never post anything, Pastor Mike. I understand, but this week I posted something on Facebook. I know it's been months, but there it was. And I posted uh, not only pictures of, of Pastor Hayden and, and Pastor Evan and, and the team, but I, I posted this building that, again, it was, it was like, oh, I, mean, like, I can't believe we got at least... We haven't even started the church yet. Met with the general contractor, met with the pastors, met with the leaders. We sat there and worked on things, got my input on stuff. I taught three times out there in Texas this week. It was a great time. And I was so excited about the fact that this is the kind of thing that multiplies the baptisms, which are the expression of people being reached for Christ in ways that are just beyond anything we could do here locally. We started in Huntington Beach, we went to Tustin, we went up to Boise, we're out here in Hill Country, we are continuing on, and Compass 2020 is the thing that allowed us this pot of money to say, okay, well, we can do how can a church with no credit history, with nothing behind its name, they roll into town, right? Matter of fact, I had a meeting last night, they haven't even opened a bank account in, in the town yet, right? This church is like nothing, and there are, I'm, we're there meeting with general contractors, and there are framers everywhere reminding me how much the lumber costs, and I'm sitting there going, this is amazing. And I thought about you, thought about standing on this platform thinking, you guys made that possible because we kicked this church planning thing into high gear and said, we're going to do this every two years. As God provides the resources, as God provides the people, let's put a pot together and make this happen. I met people, by the way, on this trip. Talk about baptisms. I mean, I, we haven't even started the church. Here's this guy who says to me, and again, for those of you that support Focal Point, here's a good little story for you. Um, He's in the hill country. He commutes through there all the time. We're on the radio out there. And um, he starts tuning in to me. He doesn't have a church background, doesn't go to church. He starts listening to what we do here every Sunday. And uh, he gets convicted. Goes over, gets saved after I don't know how many weeks he was listening. Gets convicted, becomes a Christian, puts his trust in Christ. Okay, just a couple months ago. Then he says, I sat there and talked to this guy. Said, um, where should I go to church? He didn't know. So he says, well... I know this focal point thing, this Mike Fabar's guy, I'll check his website. Goes to our website, finds out we're planning a church in his backyard. I mean, out of all the places in the country, we could have planted a church, right? Here he goes. And so we had a few layers of meetings and they went from, you know, the core group to the people that moved out there, the part of our, our core team. And then we had this launch team meeting where I got to meet a lot of people from Texas who we haven't even started, said, I, we don't want to be a part of this, including this new Christian, which is one example of the things that this church is doing to see people reach to Christ. We haven't even had our first sermon preached there, right? They're doing core team planning and all that and, and, and prep and training. But this is the kind of thing that I think is amazing. As you guys have said two years ago, we're going to step up and see this happen. And I praise God for that. And I wish I could tell you all the stories. I, one, one family I talked to, they were there at the dinner. And I said, um, I mean, probably, I don't know, 100, 100 people there. I said, um, how did you hear about us? And, and their response was, how could we not hear about it? Everyone is talking about this in this town. And this is not a small town. This is a town with lots of people, one of the fastest growing cities in the country, right? This area of, of between San Antonio and Austin. And uh, I just sat back that this is amazing. 
And you know why? Because this church right here right, has made a decision to double down on the truth and make plans to advance the gospel. And it's been an amazing ride. Uh, Tustin, by the way, I don't know if you know that, last week I was there for their prayer and dedication of the empty shell of a building. Finally, after these years, they got in, in a facility. I mean, they haven't gotten all the permits cleared and all that, but the plans are made amazing. And all of that is multiplying what we're trying to do in reaching people for Christ. Nothing reaches people for Christ better or more effectively, statistically speaking, than planning gospel-founded and expositionally preaching churches in new towns. And that's uh, not just new towns, any town. So praise God for that. The training component was one of the big price tags in Compass 2020. And we had an opportunity before it ever went on the market. A worker over there called us, said, hey, I think this building's going to go up for sale, and called me personally. And I said, well, let's get our team on it. We sat there and worked a deal and bought that building across the street as a part of the expression of Compass 2020 to have a training center developed. And so now it's finished, right? That was a big part of phase one is having that building purchased, gutted. Some of you went over there with us and drew on the walls your prayers, and we had a meeting. Remember all that? Probably broke a lot of codes that day. No one had hard hats. But we went over there in, in love of Christ, and for the sake of the mission, we sat there and got excited about what God might do in that building. And that building on the screen that you see over my shoulder is now, right, an infantile, infant school, a training center to train people, not just missionaries or pastors that are going to be professional career pastors, but people that just want to reach and teach better, who want to be disciplers and counselors and people that understand how to lead small groups and can do ministry, churchmen, people that recognize the work of making disciples as paramount in their lives. They need to go deep, they need to understand the truth, and then we watch God take the breadth of their influence and we see those individuals as they're trained and equipped go even further in, in, in the gospel. So that building, right, that little building right here on that screen, you see that? Right, is affecting a lot of places. And just to give you an update of your investment in this, your time, your prayer, your money in this, let me give you a few stats. Okay? I know it's small, but it wasn't there before. A 7,000 volume theological library is in place right, that is there because of our gifts. Even just buying the bookshelves. Right? I mean, just think about what God has done that we say to anyone and everyone, you want to be a part of this, come and join, uh, just get a library card here and come on your work time if you're it doesn't matter who you are. You want to dig deeper in some theological topic, biblical studies, textual criticism. Come and read. Utilize our library. Okay? We've had 24 classes that have already been held. 24. And I mean, those are like classes, not just class sessions. I'm talking about classes we've already completed. Now think about that. That means that we've had 783 seats in those classes filled throughout the semester. You follow what I'm saying? Now, a lot of people are taking more than one class or did throughout the semesters. So it doesn't mean 783 unique individual students, but 783 seats filled in those classes means that we've had students in those classes. Some get counted twice or three times. But that, I mean, has already happened. That's already done. That's already in the books. A lot of majors involved, but some of the things we're excited about are things like our certified biblical counseling that is a nationally recognized program with, with uh, spade work. We got 12 people uh, enrolled in that and soon to, once they finish their coursework, to be recognized nationally as people who can wield, wield the word in a situation, no matter what it is, financial, relational, as it relates to what the Bible says about that. And I'm saying that because here is a little tiny church that's already nationally recognized to train people to counsel others through their trauma and their problems. 
from the Bible. And that, I mean, if we don't need more of that in the current world, uh, then we're not, we're not paying attention. And not to mention majors and all kinds of things. We've got certificate programs and small groups and uh, you know, biblical studies and ministries of all kinds. It's huge. We've had 384 class sessions completed, and most of those are two-hour sessions. So there's a lot of hours of instructions going on there as you think about each semester along the way. That's already in the books, already done. Okay? That is 1,152 hours of instruction that have already been completed. I want you to think about that. Right? 1,152 hours of instructions that have already been completed. We've got 57,000 hours of homework that we've assigned. Uh, some of you have taken classes, and maybe you've little, you know, fast person in doing your homework, hadn't taken you as long, but we have to, to keep our level of, of uh, transferability of our credits out of our young little in, in, infantile school, we have to keep certain levels of homework assigned and what hours it should take to matriculate through that class in that semester. I mean, that's a lot of hours. Even if you guys, you know, did 80% of the time investment that you should have in that, that's a lot of hours with books open and highlighters and pencils and writing papers and researching and sitting in the library and reading. 57,000 hours that would not have happened had we not made a plan to advance the truth in this particular facet of making disciples, and that is training, okay? We got 290 people that are card-carrying members of the library, which is great. And we want anyone from any church, any they can be non-Christian. Get a library card, come. You can check books out. You can study the truth. Uh, it's a small library. We hope to grow it. If you know some guy, some theologian that has you know, wanting to donate their, their library, we will take and matriculate and sort through all those. Uh, we're building that library, and that's a good part of any organization that's going to teach the Bible. We need a good theological library. That's, that's what's already happened. And I just want to tell you, since 2018, when we sat here and stood up and said, let's maximize the reaching, let's maximize the teaching, let's maximize the training, let's do more of that. And some of you gave hard-earned money to make that happen, as me and my family did. We said, we're going to commit to this beyond our regular giving, and this is one of the reports of the fruit of that that's already taken place, okay? That's all happened from that little building that wasn't even owned by the church when we started this whole thing, and that, to me, is remarkable. Matter of fact, I've seen guys from schools that have been around for 100 years, their jaw drops, and I didn't even have all those statistics off the top of my head, but just talking about enrollment and people involved and articulation agreements with other schools, they're amazed that this little school has done what it has done, and it's just getting started. And I sit, I sit every time that I hear those kinds of things, and I picture what I'm picturing right now is the highly committed participants at Compass that step up and do these kinds of things. Okay. Now, that phase of teaching, which you may see as the lowest priority, but I'll tell you it should be a priority. It should be a priority, and it is a priority, to focus on these two buildings, okay? These two buildings, one of them at the bottom of the screen is the one you're seated in right now. The one next to it, right, if you've got your space all together, is right over there, right? Past there, we got the donuts. You know where the donuts are. Everyone knows where the donuts are. It's right behind that. That's the building there. So let's think that through in light of what we have proposed. We proposed that the plan to maximize reaching, teaching, and training we sketched it all out, intelligently, prayerfully said, okay, if we had $25 million, right, we can do these three in the way that we're looking toward, the 20-year idea, settling us on the buildings, reconstruction, the purchase of the building across the street, and we said, okay. Now, COVID hit, a lot of things happened, a lot of disruption. We couldn't even meet, right? I mean, I, there's still people I haven't seen for 18 months in our church, right, giving certain people stop giving. I, okay, fine. 
We raised $14 million, which is nothing to sniff at, right? It, it got us in this whole process of planting churches, signing leases on buildings for our church plants, buying a piece of property, gutting it, TIs, finishing it out, all the things that we've done over there, and gives us some left to do what we wanted to do in the two buildings that we're talking about. Now, again, if you're really good with math, think this through. $6 million because we didn't raise 25. Had we had 25 million, we wouldn't have needed to take a loan. We got a loan on the purchase there for 6 million. Okay, so we, that's debt, and it's never fun to pay off debt. But had we had the 25 million, or if you're going to write us a check this morning for 11 million, we'd pay off that 6 million today. Okay, so we don't want to pay the bank for renting the money. I get that. We're very conservative around here about those kinds of things. But then we looked at, if you take that 6 million, what was left, and we said, okay, uh, we've got about 5 million less than we thought we might if everything worked out in the deluxe plan and God's hand of generosity came through our people. Okay, so we're going to have to take the project in this last segment, this last phase in these buildings, and kind of curtail that. You might remember back in September of 2018, I put up on the screen a, a, a wonderful plan. I mean, it had huge palm trees and entrances and steeples and all kinds of things we were going to do in that building. And I'm here to say today, without any grumbling, I'm not complaining, it's not here to... Okay, we raised what we raised. Now we're going to say, okay, the Lord permitted this amount of money. Got a debt we don't want to have, but that's fine, right? In God's providence, right? In the plan, that's all conservative. We can make that happen, Lord willing, if the Lord permits. What do we do now with what we got left? Well, we're going to do some things. And that's what I'm here to talk about real briefly. Let me talk about these two buildings. Look now, you're looking from the south, looking north, okay? The mountains are up there, beaches down there, right? This is our campus, right? These buildings right here. You see the difference, right? Can you orient yourself to where you're at, right? These are the buildings, Compass is, is controlling. And, and the one at the top is CVI. The one right underneath it there, that's the building you're sitting in. The one next to it, on that side of it, is the building we're going to talk about first. The other building's untouched. These are the two buildings we want to talk about real quick to give you a sense of where we're at. We're going to curtail the plan, the Dilly Deluxe plan. Not going to be able to afford that. That's fine. Right? We trust the Lord in the providence of these things. Although if you have $11 million, we will readjust all these plans and go back to the drawing board. We'd like to give those. But Let's deal with what we got. Now, these two buildings, let's, think, let's talk these through, okay? Here are the two buildings, still looking north. The one on the left is the building you're seated in. The one on the right, right? We'd moved all the things out of that except for some kids' ministry stuff, some Awana stuff, move that over to CBI building, right? So now it's filled with, like, squatters. Uh, I say that, I mean, I love the squatters that we have over there because they're our people, right? Our, our staff members and people. Um, someone asked me after Saturday night when I said that, you mean there's transients living in there? Um, they picture like little steno stoves and they're cooking their meals. And, well, they are transients, but there are transients and we love them. But right now, they're just there because that space has been vacant. There's a lot of boxes in there, a lot of stuff. You go in there at your own peril, but it's, it's over there now because we know that that's going to be the next stage. The next thing we're going to do is work on that. So Let's talk real quickly about this building. Now, I know these are small pictures and you're a long way away from it, but let's blow it up. This is the current schematic of that building, right? Those, those were offices down at the bottom is a compass room, got a meeting room there, you got, you got cubicles, all that. You can't see much of that. But here, let me overlay what we're going to do with it. Now, look carefully at all those little rooms because they were all offices, right? Now, and work rooms and all that. What we're going to do is blow up the edges we're going to take a lot of walls down, and we're going to make these all classrooms. And this section right here on the left side that you see, 
uh, is different, really different. Matter of fact, look back at this. Do you see what's on the left wall, which is the wall? I know this is hard for some of you, but it's the wall that if you look at the donuts right behind it, it just looks like a very uninviting edge of a tilt-up building because that's what it is. But look what happens here now. What you have here, right, is you've got some doors that are blown in to the left side of this, right? See that, those two arrows? That then becomes the entrance, right, to this whole area right here. You see the yellow part or whatever color that is, that's your big open walkways and, and all those classrooms will feed in there. This will be the elementary classroom area. Untouched is 120 West, untouched is 120 East, right? Still got youth ministry going on here. We got classrooms over there. We've got meeting rooms and all that. But the classrooms for our elementary, state-of-the-art, freshly designed, newly laid out, all of that's gonna be here in the surrounding area. This entryway right here where everyone is going to be invited to come into will then be the check-in area for the kids. Here's the artist's rendering of it. Uh, you're going to walk in and then all through around, it'll snake around all that really wide uh, hallway will feed into all the surrounding classrooms, right? The people will look less stiff in real life when they're there, but that's what the architects have to work with is these fake people. But you, you've got an open check-in area. So it'll be one centralized place. All the elementary school areas there will still keep infant and nursery here, right? Other classrooms around the campus, but here are our youngest elementary school ed kids. Okay, that's the entrance. So look again what we've got going on here, right? You're entering from the, the left side of this. You're entering from, you know, the west side of the building, if you know your directions, okay? Look at it now when we go up. We've just taken our drone way up now, and now you see the double arrows? That area is where we set up the donuts right now. And that area is going to become our new, our new patio. As a matter of fact, we've already purposefully, back in September, made the decision that we're going to, in time, try to get everyone conditioned to going out that direction. That's, we've done that on purpose. We've stopped putting our donuts and our pop-ups and all the things we used to have out here and funneling as many people out this door as possible. And we've said, okay, we're just going to encourage everyone to go out that way. And now that's not advantageous for a lot of different reasons, but it was all purposeful because we want to create that sense of the center of our campus there because it makes sense. You can feed into 120 West over there. You can go around this classroom to 120 East. And then right in the center of this, which used to be offices, which were mostly dark on a Sunday morning because we were all scattered working around the campus, will be a place where you check in your children and all of those classrooms then will be available and manned by ministry leaders. So that area where the, where the um, arrows are becomes the center of our campus. Okay, let's talk about this building real quick. That's the building we're sitting in, and there's some major changes to that. Here's the current schematic on that building. So picture where you are, right up down here at the bottom is our platform, and there's our seats, and now surrounding it, right, if you're gonna go to the bathroom, you're gonna go out that way, come around back there, it's behind that wall, and when you go down these hallways, right, you're passing all these classrooms. Okay, give you a little orientation of what we're going to do. This Lord willing, if the Lord permits, right? We're going to have this blown up and take all those classrooms out. Why? Because they're all going to be in the state-of-the-art new 140 classroom wing. All the classrooms for the elementary are going to be over there. Up at the top, you can see if you were to look closely at this, you still have some nurseries and all the smallest children close and adjacent to our auditorium. But out this wall, right, you're going to have a giant lobby that's going to serve a lot of purposes. Okay, now think what we have now. When you exit out these doors, which we've encouraged people to start to get used to doing, because that's where the donuts are, and donuts are like a magnet. People go there for the coffee and donuts, and so they've learned to go out that direction. Great, you're walking past all these classrooms. Number one, the 
hallways are not that wide. And uh, if you don't have kids, you might find parents lined up. You've got to walk around the kids' classrooms. And I mean, it just, it's, not, it's not ideal. So what we're going to do with this is open this up to where when you leave out these doors, which we're going to put more doors in here, you're going to go out into the lobby. And you're going to say, well, it'd be really convenient if that were the back of the house. Again, I'm talking to you that want, want to give $11 million. That was the plan. The deluxe plan was to move the auditorium this way. Front stage up here would be here. That would be the back of the church where most of you would like to sit, you back row people. And then you would have, naturally, we would all leave out the back way. Well, that was one thing, cost a lot. That's one of the deals that if we had maybe three, four, five million more, we could maybe do that along with some other things we were planning on doing, those expensive palm trees and all the things we had to ditch. But the idea is this is going to be, still be great, even though you're going to exit out that way. More doors, exit into the lobby, lobbies that way, center of the campus is over there, kids check-in is over there. Okay, let's get a little focus on this area here. And I know that's too small really to get much sense of, but picture what you've got there, and let's focus on this bottom part. That means if you were to walk through these doors, it would be on the right side. Let's blow that up. If you can see now and look closely, this serves two purposes, the bookstore and cafe. And while you might picture a wall because it's a different color, it's not a wall. Okay, This is like sometimes at the airport, you've got those corner places where the, or even some of the malls, you open the gates, it seems like it's all part of the same room. That's what it's going to be here. It's going to open up and when you're here, it'll be open, and it's open to a bookstore, which is not conveniently located now. If you're out there having donuts, we've conditioned everyone to go there. You need a book. You want a book. You want to browse books. You have to go all the way around the corner and come in over here. So all of that will be right there in the lobby okay? and the cafe. We're going to try to encourage people. We try to do it now. It's outside. It's hot. The sun, whatever. Uh, we want to get chairs face-to-face -face right after church as, as best we can. Matter of fact, look at the bottom here. One more thing, one more feature. If you look at the bottom, there's a set of, of accordion doors down there. And you think, okay, I'm trying to get oriented. What's there? What's there? What's there? I want you to think what's there. If you go out through here, and this is all at the south end of that room, that big room that we're going to create by tearing down all those walls, you'd think, wow, if, they, if anyone goes out that door, they're going to fall into the loading dock where the tractor trailers are. Well, you would now if we had a door there. But we're going to now create in that space a playground for the children. Right? We had like the world's smallest play area for our kids in that sandbox out there. So now this will open up into a kid's area to where if you're in the lobby, big open doors to be able to go in and take your kids there. You'll also be able to access it through the courtyard or really technically we still call it the patio between these two buildings. So this will be an area and that between the buildings is this way. So all of that, if you want to get a picture of what it looks like when you go in the lobby and look south, it'll look something like this. So you go through those doors and turn south you got the bookstore, you got a place to sit, have, have something to eat, or do your partners during the week, and out that door right there, you see that door? That outside that door is a direct opening into the kids' playground, the young kids' playground, okay? So that's what we've got going on there. People look less stiff in real life when we get them there, but that's the vision, if the Lord wills, for us to build that right there out here looking south, okay? Well, there's a north side to this as well. Let's turn our attention to the north side. If you go out into this big open lobby and you look to the left, right, you look up north, you got a kitchen and a pantry and a serving area along with a set of stairs, okay? This will be where we have the ability to serve in hospitality and bring everything out through that front serving area there. So this serves the lobby. It can spill out into the patio area. And if you were looking at it, you got oriented here and you look north, you go out these doors and look to the left, you see something that looks like this. 
On the right side, there's a stairway. If you do know our campus well, you know some of your kids are up in that back corner. This access that. You go into the lobby. Kids can come out of here. The older kids that are up in this corner, if they're not yet in 120 West or 120 East, right? There's classrooms up there, right? The, the chapels that we have for the kids. And then you'll have access through that middle door to the little kids' nurseries, right? As well as restrooms. And then you'll have a serving area where the pantry and the kitchen and all of that serve this lobby and serve the patio. So everything is going to be designed to move from the auditorium into the lobby, everything like cafe and bookstore to the right, playground to the right, to the left. If you turn to the left, that's our hospitality control center. It's not a full commercial kitchen, right? Um, got $11 million. We can talk about what we were going to do, what we could do. But this will be a great stopgap for what we now... I mean, think about it. You, if you've ever worked hospitality, you try to put the donuts in... I mean, I, I don't know. The, the kitchen's like somewhere in the, you know, the demilitarized zone in the, in the squatter world. I mean, you never know where they're going to get the coffee. That may scare you because we have one tiny little kitchen over there in, in 120, 140. So this just makes everything a lot better, a lot, lot better. So this whole process of moving down this hallway, done, opening up into a lobby to the left, serving pantry kitchen to the right, books and cafe. Okay? All the details of all of this are going to be continually posted as they have been on Compass 2020 or compassav2020.com. I encourage you to go there. Uh, I made the commitment to you that if we could give in excess to what we normally give from September or December, I said year-end gifts in 2018, we would give monthly through uh, September of 2020. I'm not reneging on that, not going back on that. I'm going to tell you that was great. And if you finished that, and a lot of you did, you gave monthly, right? 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever you gave per month above what you normally give, fantastic. And you cut it off in September, just like I said. And that's fantastic. Because all of this, by the way, is all free will stuff. To use Old Testament terms. Solomon built the temple. Moses built the tabernacle. Right? They did these things. They asked for people. Whoever's heart moved them. Right? The obligation you should feel is to support your church in the general fund. But when things like this happen, if you're moved to give, I asked you to give until September of 2020. Now, some of us knew that it wasn't over yet. And some of us looked at the, at the rate and we said, we got $14 million. We were going to raise $25. we are going to keep giving. And so a lot of us, like my family, we continue to give every month to Compass 2020 and that's fantastic. And we certainly are not going to turn you away from doing that. Uh, you can do that, and it would be good, and certainly would be helpful uh, if we continued to do that. So if you want to do that, and I'm not telling you you need to, this is all about if you want to, maybe you stopped in September, I don't know, maybe you want to use your Netflix money or whatever to, to, to give just a few bucks to this every month, great. Or a one-time gift, great. All of that can be accessed through that, but mostly there you're going to find information about what we're doing, okay? I said all of this as a representation and presentation of our leadership and what we had decided back in August and September, right? God has done great things. Now we are in July and August of 2021, and I'm going to say the same thing I said back then and summarizing it in two verses. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now it's right for the man, the heart of man to plan his way. We should, and corporately we should plan our way. We're planned our way. We planned our way in 2018. Right? But it's the Lord who establishes this step. Now, some have been massively established, like our training center. Right? And some, we're looking at what we have to do in establishing our teaching center to be what it can be. But I know this. Success lies in a simple Hebrew verb that's translated commit. Right? Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Same chapter of the Bible. And that word commit, as I've taught on before, you might remember, is the word to roll. The Hebrew word to roll. It's like when your husband is snoring and you have to roll him over to stop him from snoring. 
that pushing over. That's the idea. The plans we make prayerfully, thoughtfully, in consultation with wisdom. Now we take it and we roll it over to God in our minds. And that's what I'm asking you to do even right now in our thoughts. Say, God, these are our plans. If you support them, we want you to support them mentally, verbally, spiritually, financially, if you want to, to say, God, these are yours now. We want you to establish them. Establish our plans, right? Some people think, oh, that's not godly. Just wait for God to do whatever he wants. If you, if you, you, I hope you don't want to be a part of an organization where that takes place. We need to be proactively planning. Here is the plan. Here's the update. Many have asked for an update. That's our Compass 2020 update. And just like Tokyo, it says 2020. We're in 2021. We know that. But we're going to move ahead trusting the Lord. I trust that you and I will trust him together. Why don't you stand with me? I'll dismiss you with a word of prayer. God, help us to trust you in the midst of uncertain times in our world. Help us not be afraid or worried. God, even if everything we talked about this morning absolutely collapses, I just pray that we would be absolutely fine knowing that you are the God who holds the future and you hold us. But God, I think, just like you have in the past, that good godly plans that we pray about and roll over to you, commit to you, God, we've seen you establish them in the past. And as I love to quote from Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah, your good hand has been evidently upon this church, and I pray you continue to bear fruit through it. And in this last segment that seems almost superfluous to some people, right? Why do we need a better church facility? Uh, God, I, I know that people don't live that way in their own lives. I pray they wouldn't think that way about their church. God, they would remodel their kitchen if they had the arrangement we have here. And so, God, we pray that we together would pull together to see this happen. If not financially, that we would all pray about this every day. And when the dust starts flying and the trucks are out there and we have to have the pardon our dust signs up, I just pray our people would be flexible. Not only flexible, they would be just enthusiastic about the months that will go by as construction is taking place, both in 141st and then over here in uh, 150. So get us ready for that. Let us celebrate that. Even go outside right now around the, the, the coffee table, the donut table, and just envision this and what you might do as we pull together to see this happen. We commit it to you now. We roll it over to you in Jesus' name. Amen.